0: Father, we thank you for this time together. We um, ask for, once again, your spirit to be with us, that you would be present in and among us, um, making alive your word, causing it to be transformative to us, not just some uh, additional knowledge to gain, but that you would cause us to ask the right questions about our own hearts and our own sin, and what we need to change, and that you would give us the gift of um, right ability, right skill, wisdom to act on the questions that are brought out by this passage this morning. We thank you for your provision for us in Christ. We pray that this morning would draw us closer to Him. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. We're in Leviticus 4. Uh, looking at uh, another offering, what are the odds? Um, <laughs> we've gone through three by way of review. What are they? The three that we've looked at already. Grain offering. Okay. Burn offering. The burn offering, the grain offering, and the peace, peace offering. The burn offering. What do we say really was the crux of that one? What what was involved there? Why was it Why was it offered? The, did I say grain offering? I meant burnt offering. The burnt offering. For,
1: primarily
0: atonement. Yeah. Atonement. A general recognition that I'm unholy. God is holy. I'm going to offer this animal as a general acceptance before God from the nature of my own heart. The general sin nature, right? What about the grain offering? What was it? Okay, there was some eating that was involved there. The, the priest took... There was a portion of the grain offering that was put on the fire, consumed, but the rest of it was given to the priest as as holy bread basically for them to eat what was the point of it though for the grain offering the second one do you remember um, it was a it was an offering of consecration it was a sanctification offering it's usually done in conjunction with the burnt offering to show I'm atoned for and now my life is consecrated to under the covenant to God what, what is the peace offering? I think that's really what you were pulling from, uh, Chelsea. The peace offering was... What, what was the purpose of it? Okay, maybe not. It's Leviticus, I know. It's like, uh... Um, a meal. There's a meal involved here. A, an animal sacrificed. Part of it was put on the altar, the kidneys and the fat and, and all of that. The blood was sprinkled, uh, splashed on the, um, on the altar. And then they, the offeror, the worshiper, and the priest would share in a meal, and what was put on the altar was considered to be part of the best portion for God in the, in the meal. So there's a meal that was involved, and we saw that there's an atonement being made right with God, a consecration being committed, sanctified to God, and then with the peace offering, there is fellowship, shalom, with God and with the other members of the covenant, with a covenant family. Um, today we're looking at another type of offering. Uh, we're introduced to what's called the sin offering, uh, and it's in uh, Leviticus 4. So let's, let's, let's just read through it and we'll look from there. And it's a long one. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them. That's the introduction. If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them. And then what we'll see is a breakdown of categories of people that do this. So that's the intro. What types of people are identified in this first intro? How many people are, 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 what types of people are identified as needing an offering for sin? What does it say? If anyone, if anyone, the anointed priest, we're going to see first, the congregation as a whole, we'll see, a leader, usually a political leader, lots of goats with them, a common person, right? Those are the categories that we see. What does this tell us? God's introducing the sin offering for the people. And and he, he says if anyone, and he introduces these four categories, there's really nobody left out, is there? Is that true today? You now what Paul says in Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. I mean, it's it's he's not pulling this out of the air. Paul is pulling from what's always been true from the beginning. Uh And and God makes that provision for them. All people sin. Sin does not distinguish between classes of people, but there's grace here. God does not abandon His people in their sin. He makes provision for them. How does a holy God dwell with unholy people? How does that happen? He makes provision for them here. It needs to be dealt with and God has established a detailed system to do so here in chapter 4. What kind of sin is he talking about? What kind of sin?
1: Unintentional.
0: Unintentional. What does that mean? Not intended? Other than that, what the, was ones it? the ones you didn't know about. The ones maybe you forgot about uh, is well, by mistake. Or maybe not a planned ahead kind of sin too. Like okay. Man, i tell you. <laughs> When those speed limit signs are covered by the bush,
1: Nothing.
0: unintentional. That's just completely theoretical. Uh, that doesn't really happen to me at all. Um, we see uh, we see a, a, a break here. This this passage starts with a new break. It, it, it and the Lord spoke to Moses. Usually, sets up a new ca- a new section of the scripture, um, and it might be because. The concept of unintentional sin is first introduced here in this chapter and it's emphasized through chapters 4 through 6. We'll see that again and again. Are these mistakes made by forgetting to do something? An omission. It's the opposite. What is it? Doing something you shouldn't. We call those sins of commission. And... Sin here means something more than simply going astray. Uh, It includes the guilt that's incurred by the act. It covers the consequences of the act. So, um, in, in, in fairness, these sins do seem to be committed by ignorance or lack of awareness so that the unintentional part of it is kind of a mitigating factor. You know, it's not... All sin is sin... But there are, but there are levels of penalty for certain things, right? We, we see that there's a there's a gradation here. It, it seems to make a, a little less of a requirement for an unintentional aspect of it, or or or, um, or it's treated less seriously than those that are in direct defiance of God's law. I mean, if someone kills someone, we don't offer a bull for that. They get stoned, right? But if you, but if you uh, you know, do something unintentional. Then you offer a sin offering for for that. You know, you, you show up to the tabernacle without having properly washed or or something along those lines. Something you forget. It's a different consequence. It's still sin, but it's a different consequence. God is just. Can we pull that from from this? God is just. He meets out judgment as it fits the crime committed. Um, all right. However, even an accidental sin still results in condemnation and it needs to be rectified. A person carrying the flu into a maternity ward still needs to be dealt with even though it was unintentional. Right? That's is, this is kind of a picture we have here. Why, um, why is it necessary to provide for unintentional sins? What does that tell you about the heart of man? What did every Jewish boy do from the time he was young speak? What were they doing? Yes? Memorizing. memorizing. They were learning. What were they learning? What did they start with? What did they start with? What book? Leviticus. They started with Leviticus. So you have um, your five-year-old memorizing Leviticus, getting ready for his uh, 12-year-old celebration where he can now be on the public dole. Um, he is learning Leviticus. How in the world could he commit something unintentional? He knows it. Better than we do. I mean, for some of us, chapter 4 is the first time we've ever read this. They memorized this. How would that be unintentional? Why provide for this? What does that tell you about the heart of man? And, and women. I'm using that as a non-gender specific. We're sinful from the start. We're careless from the start inconsistent Um, Jewish children memorized Leviticus first before any other book yet they committed unintentional sins obeying God's law does not come naturally naturally ain't natural doesn't come naturally it used to at one time it did there was a certain garden with a certain tree and a certain people they did it naturally but they rebelled, and we've inherited that. So, um, this isn't something new with Paul. They have altogether become worthless, it says in Romans 3. What? Welcome. It points back to the old principle that we've heard again and again that we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. Ephesians 2 We're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And there is no difference here in the fact of sinning from the holiest priest to the most common person in the camp. All have sinned and all will sin. And God provides for that. There's grace here. In the law, there's grace. Look at verse 3. If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus... "...bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails and its dung all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it Up on a fire of wood, on the ash heap it shall be burned up. This probably refers to the general office of a priest. Aaron and his sons were all anointed. But notice that he first starts with the clergy. Why? He doesn't deal with the secular political leaders until the third section. Why does he start here? What does he say? I
1: guess to show that even, even they are sinful.
0: Even they are sinful. That's right.
1: In their society, they were the leaders. They were the top of the realm.
0: Well, yes, they were leaders in the church. Oh, well, in the church. In the in the tabernacle. Church and seed form. We understand it that way. But, but they're leaders there. But why does he say that he starts with them? I mean, he points to something. Are they not? If you have priests sinning, what does that do to the people? It taints everybody. It leads, has potential to lead more people into, well, they're doing it. It must be okay. And he says that, he recognizes that in, in, the, in, the, in the passage. Thus bringing guilt on the people. The priest is a representative of the people. And his sin is not in isolation. It affects everyone, right? When he errs in his duty, it has a negative effect on the entire community. He is responsible not only for the sin he committed, but also the guilt he brought upon the covenant people. What's the sacrifice for the priest? A bird. Is a bird a little cheap thing? No, it's a bull. Why? Why would it be a bull? Why not a goat? It's pretty much the
1: largest, most valuable sacrifice.
0: It is the largest, most valuable sacrifice. With a bull, you can increase your herd. Hard to do with just cows. Despite what the Supreme Court may tell you, it's hard to do with just cows. <laughs> it's a valuable animal, it's a part of economic increase, right? The bull's the most expensive. What does that tell you? Of all of these, the bull is the most expensive. And all of these, this category is the most expensive to do. It's one
1: of the biggest deals.
0: It's a big deal. For a priest to sin, it's a big deal in this society. All right. There are three steps here, and they're different from what we've seen previously, so I want to quickly look at them. Um, Number one, the priest is going to collect some of the blood in a vessel and enter the holy place of the sanctuary dip his finger in the blood and splatter it seven times on the curtain. Now the curtain's always going to, whenever it uses the, the word curtain, what curtain is it referring to? What curtain is it referring to?
1: The outer curtain to the meeting?
0: The curtain. Which one are you talking the, the, the big veil. The, the main veil. I know what you're talking about. There's two curtains. But when it says the curtain to sprinkle in, in it, it's talking about the inner one. It's talking about the one between the holy place and the holy of holies where the ark rests. Remember the Ark of the Covenant is the only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies, and so there's a curtain that divides where the routine stuff goes on and where ultimately the Day of Atonement will happen. We'll get to it in Leviticus 16. Um, why does the priest splatter blood here? Well, it's in the Holy Place, right? The curtain is the location of where the general priestly duties happen. And when he sins, everything's contaminated. The priest goes in, he's sinful. And he's supposed to discharge his duties, but he's sinful. So everything he does is contaminated. And so the sprinkling of the blood on the altar is a cleansing, not just for him, but for the stuff he's contaminated. It's a physical representation that sin is not alone. It affects everything that we do. Um, this is where the priestly duties take place and they are contaminated by the priest's sin. It also underscores the seriousness of the sin. The blood is brought to the very border of the Holy of Holies. Why seven times? Let's get on the miracle. Why seven times? Is that generally we seen a pattern? A completement. There's a complete cleansing that happens with this blood. Alright, the second part of this. The priest is to place some of the blood on the horns of the altar of incense. So there's on the curtain and then on the altar of incense. Where does the altar regularly sit? We talked about this when we were in Exodus. The
1: altar of incense is in the holy
0: place. The one that's in the holy place and it sits right in front of the curtain, right? Between the holy of holies and the holy place. It sits right there at the entrance of the curtain. Um... It's, this procedure, this ritual, is similar to the Day of Atonement. Um, and, and when we get to Leviticus 16, it explains, it explains more the significance to cleanse and consecrate the place um, as, as it's coming from, uh, on, onto the altar of incense. Why place the blood on the horns? Why place the blood on the horns? What does that symbolize? Horns represent power. Okay. the horn of salvation yeah I heard that term when when uh, when it's placing blood on the horns extremities are thought to represent the whole we have the same kind of idea he's got blood on his hands right it's the same idea it, it covers the whole it represents the whole person that's the idea here when it's on the horn it represents the whole thing Um, The third procedure he does, the priest pours out the remaining blood at the foot of the altar of burnt offering. This is probably not the ritual. This is probably more just functional. Um, An action to dispose of the blood in a way that it returns to Yahweh, the author of life. This is, again, that picture. In the blood is the life. Without blood, there's no remission of sins. You have that whole idea that God is the author of life and life is in the blood. In, um, in verses 8 through 10, the portions of the sacrifice are extracted in exactly the same way as the peace offering that we saw last time. You have the fat, the liver, and the kidneys. Do you remember why? That's the choice stuff. Regardless of what your mama told you when you were growing up, that's the choice stuff in the culture. The fat, the kidney, and... The I saw an article recently how fat is coming back into vogue. Eating it is starting to come back in now. I've waited a long time for
1: this. (laughs) It's
0: now a thing. It's choice again. It's all good. Um, But there's a difference between this and the peace offering, isn't there? What's the difference? The rest of it isn't shared as a meal. It's not a meal. It's burnt
1: up outside.
0: It's burnt up outside the camp. Right. Now, why would that be? I mean, in the peace offering, the priest gets the food, doesn't he? Doesn't he get part of the animal? Gets to eat off of that? Why wouldn't he be able to eat off of this?
1: You're sacrificing the whole. You, it's for the, for the sin that you for this specific
0: sin. It's his is. sin. We sin all the more so that food may abound? I mean it's an understanding that it's his sin if I commit a few more of these I get a really good meal it takes that away not only do you lose the economic productivity of the bull you don't get to eat any of it, it None. Of, you don't benefit at all from your sin in this. it's a complete and whole separate. yeah
1: How there's over and over the, the picture of the priest having to be forced to identify with his sin. Mm-hmm. Putting his hand on the head of the bull, this should be me. Putting right. his hands in the blood. Right. And just the messiness of, of his own sin. Wow, my sin costs a lot.
0: And not but only to actual me, actual it costs a lot, not only to me, but also to everything else I'm having to work to cleanse. Because of what I've done, because of my office, because of the place God has placed me, the potential for harm to other people, and I've got to make, I've got to repair that. I've got to be purified because of that. All right, John Curate, in his, um, in his great commentary on Leviticus, says this. Um, It's an extreme measure to employ a ritual of disposal outside the camp. This is the place where the defiled and unclean are placed. For example, the leper must reside outside the camp all the days he has the infection, he is unclean. This ritual highlights the seriousness of the priest's sin. This is why I think this is akin to the burnt offering. I think it's a subset of the burnt offering. Actually, it does say it like a burnt offering. It's more specialized. It still recognizes the atonement, the need for atonement, but it's more specified to the different categories of people that are involved for, in this case, unintentional sins. And we'll see it also used for other things. Um, In addition, the destruction of the whole animal means that the priest gets none of it and therefore does not put from his own sin. All right, what's the next category? Look at verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, And the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done. And they realize their guilt when the sin which they have committed becomes known. The assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest. Shall take some of the blood into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, that is in the tent of meeting, before the Lord, and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus he shall do with the bull, and as he did with the bull of the sin offering so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. What's going on here? The entire congregation sins unintentionally. I'm saying, (laughs) what is the deal here? Again, this is an unintentional sin. This time by the congregation, but it is hidden from the assembly. Who's the assembly?
1: So it, it sounds like it's the entire congregation of people. They're they're led by the elders, and the elders are the ones specified here. And mm-hmm. it seems to me it's like the congregation is all of the or the assembly is all the people, mm-hmm. and, and the and people that are leading them sinned unintentionally, and it was hidden from from the, the group of people.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. I, it seems that um, the assembly... Well, it, it's a little it's a little strange how it works out, but once, once the sin becomes known to everybody, whatever it is, it could be a section of the congregation, it could be the people are just doing something that isn't known to their leaders, oh, okay. I think may be involved here. Um, and then once it becomes known to... The, there, there's a distinction between the congregation and the assembly. It seems to be uh, that the assembly... Uh, are, 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 are a group of representatives from all the families that, that govern the people. Um, once a corporate sin is known, then the, the leaders of the groups of families are required to make an, an offering for the people. They represent the people. They come as the, the, the representatives of the whole congregation. So um, this offering is done through the elders which was first mentioned way back in Exodus 3, if you remember that far back, and they appear to have been a ruling body in Israel. Uh, we don't really know more than that. We're not given a whole lot of detail on this whole governmental arrangement that they have, but it seems to be that the assembly is a much smaller group than the congregation, but they somehow represent the people in this corporate action here. Um, the, the, release, the, the procedures related to the sin offering are almost identical as that for the priest. Did you notice that? It seems very similar. And it's, a bull. How, and it's a single bull for the entire congregation uh, but it's at this point that we see the purpose of the sacrifice right what's the purpose what does it say it starts with an A and ends with atonement
1: <laughs>
0: that's the first time we see the purpose of this right it, it says for atonement the word has a connotation of wash away and, cleanse. and what does it finally lead to? What does it say? And they shall be forgiven. God accepts the sacrifice and His wrath and anger are stayed from coming on the people. So let me go to the next section in verse 22. We see where probably most of the animals are sacrificed. When the leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done. He real, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, He shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. What's different here? Number one, it's not a bull, it's a goat. Which tells you what? (coughs) That's not true. Goats are very important. Um, it does show you that there, is, there needs to be some cost but it's not as important as the priest or the whole congregation no matter what they may think of themselves as secular leaders it, it still needs to be atoned for why aren't they first? this would include the king why aren't they first? Level of importance. They're not mediators mediators for the people. Okay? In order of heinousness, the ruler's sin is less than the sins of the priest or the congregation as a whole. That's why you have a male goat. But it's more serious than that of a common person. The distinctions here are that the priest does not enter the holy place to sprinkle blood on the curtain, Or place blood on the altar of incense. Where does he do it? Where does this happen? It's just at the altar, which is outside outside in the courtyard, right? Outside in the area where the altar is. There's been no defilement in the sanctuary, and there's no need for blood there. Everything for the leader takes place at the altar of burnt offering in the tabernacle courtyard. They use the same stuff, they use the fat, the kidneys, and the liver. But the blood is daubed on the horns of the altar burnt offering and it's disposed by pouring it out at the base as opposed to splashing it on the sides of the altar that we saw in the peace offering. And again, we see the placing the blood on the horns is the idea of purifying the whole altar and for atonement. Further, what happens with the remains? What does it say? It doesn't. Oh, you're all looking very diligently I appreciate that. It doesn't say why? What happens with the remains? Not the fat, not the kidneys, not the liver. The rest of the goat goes to it goes to the priest. They're, they get the food from this. They don't from their own sin. they don't from the congregation.
1: necessarily for a political leader as he does for his own sin and for the kind of people. He, he kind of had For the, the first
0: two, he has... If the congregation sins unintentionally, who's responsible for that? Everybody. Everybody is. But what does that result from? Why did Eve sin? Because they weren't... She wasn't trained well by her priest, Adam. Uh, if the whole congregation is sinning unintentionally, something's not being communicated. There's a failure of communication. There is a lack of instruction by the priesthood on an issue. It's their, it ultimately is their responsibility. Why would they benefit from that? Hey, we won't tell them about this. We've got a lot of beef this way. There, there's a, there's a, a very clear um, understanding of the heart of man. You can set up the most perfect procedure. We'll find a way to mess it up. And just read the news. Um, all right, the priest here though had nothing to do with the leader. I say nothing; it's not his responsibility that if the leader sins, so he does uh, get the uh, the goat. All right, common people, twenty-seven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin, which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger And put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for his sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour, it out on the rest, on all, pour out all the rest on its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin in which he has committed and shall be forgiven. A lot of repetition. Is there any uncertainty about what they're supposed to do? No, he said it four times. Five, if you count the second offering for the common person. We come to the folks. The people of the land is the customary way that the Bible refers to common people of Israel. They're distinct from the priesthood and from the secular rulers. So what's the offering? They give them a nanny. Uh, Why? Well, they're less valuable. And yet, they're still valuable. They're meaner, too, by the way. Um, There is a offering made for the common person that they that they can probably afford here. It's grace. It's a it's a, a provision for them that they can afford. And if they can't, we have an even cheaper way to do it. A lamb that's even less valuable and yet still valuable. The procedure that we see here is verbatim what we see with the leaders. However, in verse 32 we see the provision for bringing a lamb. Notice that God makes provision and cares for His people where they are and what they can do. Yeah? I was
1: just going to say that in each of these instances, there is an implied need for at this time a public reading of the law and accountability among the people. It says if he suddenly realizes or if it was made known to him. In each case it's either that he heard something that was read, and said, oh, I forgot I wasn't supposed to right, do that. Right. Or someone else, a neighbor or whatever, came to him and said, hey, you're really not supposed to be doing that. I mean, it has that idea of accountability.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Which brings us back to the congregational sin and why the doesn't benefit from that. Because if they're doing the public reading of the law, if they're doing, giving a sense of what it means and they're not doing it well that leads to the widespread error in the congregation, right? And, and, and again, you're seeing accountability here um, at, at the national level, at the individual level. But it affects everybody. The sin affects everybody. All right. <clears throat> this offering, although given year-round, uh, culminates in the Day of Atonement, as we'll see in chapter 16. This is one of the clearest pictures of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's the purpose of the sin offering. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, The smart folks tell us that uh, in a place called Phrygia, they used to have a procedure where um, the, the guy who was repentant, a penitent person, would be put in a pit a cylindrical pit, and they put like a wood grating over the top of it. They'd kill the bull and let the blood drain down on top of him to purify him from his sin. That's messy. Did it work? No, it didn't work. They'd sacrifice the animal, let the blood flow over the person below, believing that divine... Forgiveness would be attained through that bathing in blood. which it doesn't work. It's impossible, Hebrews tells us, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So once again, the Levitical system is not about the killing of animals. It's about pointing to the perfect sacrifice to come, Christ. They sacrificed in hope of and trust in the promise to come. How great is the purity and mercy of God? Sin is seen here not only as defiling the person, but defiling the Lord's holy dwelling place, the tent of meeting. Because of his great purity, the Lord could not permit that defilement to exist in the midst of his holy people. He still can't. There isn't a different God that appears in the New Testament, it's the same God, and he's still holy. And he still can't permit sin to reside among his people. Uh, Jesus, who's not easy breezy, says this, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's the same God. It's not a new coming. It's a very old one, all the way back to Genesis 1. When we sin, it doesn't just affect us individually. It affects all of us. But because of his great mercy, he could not help but provide a way for his people to deal with this defilement. Some call the sin offering, another term for it, they call it the purification offering. And that's really a good name for it. The lifeblood of the animal is served, served for a time as a ransom for sinners from the Lord's punishment as well as a cleansing from the defilement of their sin. But it was only a picture. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law... Weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin and the flesh. The New Testament speaks of Christ's death as the ultimate purification offering. It cleanses all our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and, for, and to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sorry. Remember, John's talking to Christians there. What does this do for us? Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Don't pursue it just because you want to look better than everybody else. Pursue it to guard the church. It's bigger than you. Guard the church from defilement by pursuing holiness, by confessing your sin and repenting and turning away from it daily. This is a this is a stewardship issue because we're part of something greater than ourselves. My sin affects you, your sin affects me. It defiles the place. And we need to be about repenting often and from the heart. If a brother or sister comes to me and says, I think this is wrong what you're doing. My first response is not, you're being judgmental, you hate me, why is it always me you're picking on? My first response should be, maybe there's some truth here. I need to examine this. I need to look at my own heart because what I'm doing may affect the entire place. It may cause a rift with another brother or sister in Christ, that affects the unity of the body, I need to be very sensitive to what I'm doing and why, and to repent. Um, yeah. It displays the heart, where we are, how we treat this.
1: Yeah. I think reason that, that Paul is to the church of the body. Mm-hmm. Because we know in our own body, we pull a muscle, or we step on it, or whatever. That it affects our whole body. And yeah. If you get a splinter in your finger, you're feeling it all over.
0: And you and you get you're more conscious of that the older you get. By the and, way.
1: And, and and you're very intent on doing whatever it takes to remove that splinter. Right. And as members of the same body, we have to be we have to be removing the splinters from each other and mm. be willing to to be real with one another. And, and to, to take correction. Go, oh, no, there's not a splinter. There's not a splinter. There's yeah. not a splinter. And, and ignoring a problem. And not, and, not
0: just, and not just sin, but also... Sometimes
1: it's just hurt or pain.
0: Or, uh, or that. And, and it's also wisdom in dealing with chronic sin. Do we accept instruction for how to deal with something? Even though at the beginning we don't feel like we need to, do we accept instruction? That displays the character of the heart. Right. But that's not... Much. Right. Oh display. Because it may interpret that as an unwilling action. So well, we should just leave it there. I think that's when yeah. we start to think of the body and a fragmented well, You know? And and stop thinking that we really are all one. Right. How we respond to correction, how we respond to our own sin, how we respond to um the call for repentance that we get, it it displays what's in our heart. It's all there And if we don't understand that it affects everybody, not just us. I can deal with this. Jesus forgive me, whatever I do. No, you gotta you've gotta make it right. You've gotta make it right. That displays the heart. I want unity in the body. I want peace in the body. And if I'm causing dissension, if I'm causing hurt, if I'm causing something, I, from the heart, want to make it right because they're Christ to me. Anyway. All right.
1: How do you handle it? Do you yeah. immediately become defensive, or do you, or do you learn from that how you handle closer to life? Right. And I think I think that displays where our heart is. Yep. Or if we immediately become defensive, do we recognize, oh, well, I became defensive? <laughs> yeah,
0: and repent for that. Add it to the list. Yeah, yeah.
1: How quickly we regress to
0: five-year-olds. Yeah. Well, being generous. <laughs> how,
1: quickly we or how quickly we find out that we are actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, let's pray. Father, once again, we are amazed and humbled by your great mercy to us, the chronic five-year-olds, that you and your great mercy would see fit to give your Son as a complete and total sacrifice for such as us is an amazing thing. Would you, by your power, in your spirit, make us into the image of Christ? We realize that this is not an instantaneous thing, but that it is a lifelong project, and we're helpless without you. Forgive us our sin, Give us wisdom and how to live lives that are holy to you, distinct from the worldlings around us. Thank you for Christ and the gift that He is to us. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right. Now I'm really nervous. I am. I know. Yeah. Um, that was a nice two.